Welcome to season two of We Are Here, sponsored by CrowdStrike. In the finale of We Are Here, CrowdStrike exudes vulnerability by giving us a case study of their own diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. This company is doing everything it can to enable its employees to say, we are here. Glad to be back again. Excited to talk to two individuals about their journey and the values that they've created. In the studio today with us, we have Emily Van Norden, Senior Director, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at CrowdStrike. Also, Nikki Thornton, Chief of Staff, also at CrowdStrike. Wanted to say welcome and thank you both for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thrilled to be here. Thank you both for being here. This is the finale of We Are Here. And really what this is, is this is a a use case or a profile of CrowdStrike and the growth in culture. It's very rare that you have a company that's vulnerable enough to give us a peek under the hood, looking at their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and all that goes with it. So, but first, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Let's start with you, Nikki. Well, hello, everyone. I have been at CrowdStrike for seven years now. I've been in tech for quite some time, but CrowdStrike was my first dive into cybersecurity. It's been a very exciting career journey at CrowdStrike. I started as Georgia's executive assistant and you know, really built my way up through the years to becoming the director of executive administration here to our senior director of executive operations and now uh, the chief of staff. So it's, it's been a, quite the journey, very exciting, lots of learnings, key learnings, I say. And uh, I've been really fortunate to work with some incredible folks like Emily Van Norden. <laughs> mm. And we're definitely going to get to a lot of those learnings today. Uh, what about you, Emily? What is your background and what you're doing today? I've been at CrowdStrike um, a little over two and a half years now. I, prior to CrowdStrike, was at a advertising um, and consulting firm for about 11 and a half years. In that role, I led employer brand marketing and diversity, equity, and inclusion for that company. And I was brought over to CrowdStrike in advance of the IPO in 2019, because I think to their credit, they kind of understood that once the company went public, the value proposition for joining CrowdStrike would shift a little, and that it would be important for them to do some work developing messages for the talent audience and and what makes CrowdStrike an awesome place to work. Why should candidates consider CrowdStrike for their next career move? So joined in that capacity and, you know, built out that function for CrowdStrike. And then last summer, you know, there was a lot of employee feedback that they would like to see the company 
do a little bit more around diversity, equity, and inclusion from like a program perspective. So get a little bit more official activity going in the company. And so I was given the opportunity since I had that experience at a previous job to pitch the executive leadership team on what diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like, you know, if you're, if you're running a kind of best in class enterprise program and, and they, they bought the program, they thought it would be a great idea. And so um, at that time I was asked to take on that department as well. And we launched, I think kind of end of last summer or in September of last year. And, and we haven't looked back since then. And we've worked together to build a really exciting program here at the company. And, you know, one thing that we have to get to during this conversation is how you go from producer to people's champion. But first, I'm going to turn it over to you, Nikki. You have an incredible perspective of a company because, first of all, in technology, people are hopping jobs every couple of years. But you've gotten to see the growth in the culture and the focus on diversity, equity and inclusion at CrowdStrike change over time. So we would love to hear that chronicle of that story from when you began to today. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I joined CrowdStrike in 2014 as Georgia's EA and uh, the only one at the company at that time. Um, And although CrowdStrike really started as a very scrappy startup uh, who was light on administrative support, George also understood he wouldn't be able to scale the organization without having the right person as his right hand. So I was fortunate enough to be offered that role. And I took it because I knew that uh, personally, George had a vision to change the world through security. And he was focused on this human element behind the adversary, right? So when George Kurtz asked me to be the exec sponsor for Team Believe, I was really humbled having the opportunity to be a sponsor and a support mechanism for colleagues who might not feel like they have a voice to suggest process improvements or increase organizational awareness um, was a really special thing for me. I've been in that position and it can be very isolating. So having the opportunity to ensure that team believe team members had a voice was really important to me, Uh, but not only to me, but also our entire executive team. You know, there's many important causes in the world and the opportunity to be able to rise to that challenge that CrowdStrike is up against was one that really resonated with me. It doesn't just take perseverance and determination, but tackling cyber challenges is really a mass team effort, right? Everybody has to drive towards the same outcome. So to be part of an organization where you feel that your work actually makes an impact every day is a really special experience. And part of the culture that I've always really admired and George says very often is play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. So, you know, I really, that resonated with me from day one. You know, I wanted to be a part of that team environment where everybody cared and they were driving towards the same initiative and the same outcome. So, you know, a couple years in, I saw there was an opportunity to help the rest of our leadership team really scale their functions if we built out the right administrative support model. Um, and what that meant to me was hiring the best of the best that would come in, bring an element of high efficiency, but also deep care for their team. And George, having had that experience mm. with our partnership, believed in that vision and provided me with this great opportunity to create a team of highly skilled EAs who could show the breadth of their ability within the organization because 
really there's no other role outside of the executive level where an employee would have that much visibility into what's happening across the org. <laughs> and what that does is it really provides a prime opportunity for EAs to drive efficiency and clarity and a deep understanding of what outcomes to drive towards across the teams. You know, when you have a collective group of EAs that are all marching towards the same drumbeat, you've effectively created this connective tissue across the organization to get information delivered and received succinctly, which is crucial, especially in our industry. So I'm incredibly proud of our EA team. They've been able to bring their whole selves to work every single day, consistently work together through ambiguity and find clarity, and they really help drive these initiatives. And today we have over 20 EAs globally, and they're fondly known across the company as the A team, which I'm very proud of. Uh, but you know, being able to hire the best of the best you know, and I really brought that to the hiring strategy for the um, administrative model, and it's worked very well. So that same year, we rolled out our CMI program, which is our corporate major initiatives. And those really are our priority initiatives across yep. the organization where we need full company focus. DE&I is obviously part of that program. Um, it's very important to the company. I've always said that CrowdStrike is, you know, we breed a culture of extreme accountability and when you're part of this team, you have to do what you say and say what you mean. And so, you know, we said we wanted to have an inclusive environment. And because of this, you know, we, we made sure that we put an extreme focus on it. And we have a very active DE&I program, thanks to Emily and her team's efforts. And I'm sure we'll get to it in a bit. But we've got some great, you know, very strong ERGs that include Team Believe, who I believe you two have spoken with. Already for one episode, we've got women of CrowdStrike, the CrowdStrike Pride team, veterans of CrowdStrike, and of course, the CrowdStrike Green team. And so we're very, very proud of that. Go A-team, right? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like there's nothing that you can't do that your team can't do. And it sounds like it came a lot from collaboration, getting all the right people in the right place and really making an effort to push things forward. And it reminds me of like building something from nothing. Like you've seen it all from the company from the beginning to IPO and even diversity, equity and inclusion for companies to have a team of people, even a single person focus on diversity, equity and inclusion is really great. But they typically have to start from nothing. They have to figure out where they're at and where they need to go. Emily, I'd love to hear from you, your experience on standing up the diversity, equity, and inclusion function at CrowdStrike. Tell us a bit about that experience and what it's been like. It's been a wild ride. It's never a dull moment. Um, you know, it's, it's felt empowering. It's felt inspiring. And even though, you know, I think there's a lot of DE&I practitioners that will be, you know, very frank and say that, that it can be some of the hardest work that you can do in business because, you know, you're really kind of trying to solve sometimes for things that aren't company issues, right? They're societal issues, they're cultural issues, and, you know, you only have control of the four walls of the company that you're in. And so you really have to find ways to create impactful solutions, impactful programs that kind of tackle really big, difficult, complex, thorny issues while, you know, making sure that, you know, you don't, you don't miss a beat in the business, especially in cybersecurity, right? Because our, our mission is definitely critical. But the mission itself, um, I think is hugely helpful when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, because, you know, we already 
come to work every day to serve a noble purpose, right? We're here to stop the bad guys. We're here to protect people and their privacy and their data and their information. And that already gives people such a high sense of purpose um, that it's very easy to introduce conversations around purpose and values and doing the right thing. Um, That's definitely, I think, threaded through the fabric of our DNA at the company. And to the question about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, I've been doing this work for a really long time, as I mentioned before. And when I started, it was just diversity. We just called it diversity work. Then it was diversity and inclusion. Then it was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Some people add belonging into that. Some people add justice into that. One of the new hip acronyms in this space is JEDI. Um, mm. for, for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So you can use whatever acronym you want. I think they're all important, all of the kind of concepts that the words in these acronyms stand for. But I think it has to be a connected effort, right? Because the reason that the acronyms keep proliferating is because I think you discovered, or people doing this work discovered as we were going through it, that you can't simply bring diverse talent into an organization and have that be the end of the story, right? Because we know that underrepresented groups of people have different life experiences, different lived experiences that have to be accounted for. And so I think once organizations started recruiting diverse talent in, you know, many times they would bounce right out the back door. I call it the, the culture trampoline, right? You're bringing this diverse talent in, but if you can't create a culture and a lived everyday experience in your organization that makes them feel like they truly belong and like they're an equal part of the team, you know, then you you have a whole host of other issues. So while you definitely have to address diversifying an organization, there are so many other things that you need to look at to make sure that you engage that talent, that you retain that talent, that you're creating a culture that fosters and nurtures the ability to then further diversify your organization. So so it's a kind of a matrix environment where you do need to be looking at things like how inclusive does your culture feel? Do, does everybody feel the same level of welcome and ability to be their authentic selves? That that's where the inclusion comes from. And then the equity conversation is really about and it's the difference between equity and equality, right? Because you can give everybody the same cookie cutter support. But if everybody's not starting from the same starting line, then you you don't have that equity, right? You don't have equal opportunity for everybody. And so one of the the images that I use when I'm trying to describe this is if you're doing a race on a track, the people that are on the outside, they get extra help, right? Because they, they by definition, have a longer distance to cover um, just based on the layout of the track. And so the way that that's addressed is to let people begin the race from different starting points. And that's really, you know, a very simple example of what equity work means within an organization, making sure that everybody has support to start from an equal playing field, but you need to meet people where they're at with that. And it's not the same for everybody. You know, just piggybacking off of what you just said, I mean, there takes a certain amount of vulnerability for an organization to really look at itself and say, how much can we be doing? How much can we do better in our organization? And that happens at the organization level. It also happens at the personal level. One of the the themes that seems to be echoing throughout this entire season is vulnerability. And one of the things that I think about is something that you wrote about when you put stuff on LinkedIn. 
you mentioned your spe- your fear of speaking, which by the way, you're doing an excellent job now. <laughs> Thank you. But you talked about your fear of speaking and how you have to go out there and do it anyways. You, you do the keynote, you do the speech. And really, when you think about vulnerability, the four words that you mentioned in that article really resonated with me. And the four words were, from adversity comes opportunity. I'd love to hear an example or a story that you might have that really personifies that philosophy. From adversity comes opportunity. I mean, you know, I think I think that piece was in reference, was it to Naomi Osaka? It was, yeah. Yeah, so I'll just use that as an example. That ended up being a firestorm for Naomi, right? And as much support as she saw from folks out there in the world, you know, she saw just as many attacks and teardowns. And what she did in that moment took incredible courage. I mean, the the amount of courage that that must have taken, I don't even know if that's inside me. You know, you never know until you're tested. Could you tell but, us that story for the folks that, that don't know it? Yeah, she was participating in a um, French, the French Open, I believe, a tennis tournament. And one of the requirements, I guess, you know, maybe not necessarily written, but one of the expectations of, of participating in these events is that the tennis superstars give of themselves to the press, that they make themselves available for press questions, for press conferences and things like that. And she was you know, similar to me, having anxiety about that. She called herself an introvert. She was trying to prepare for an incredibly rigorous and demanding and challenging competition for her career. And and she decided that she didn't have the mental capacity or energy to give to the reporters and tried to opt out of that. And the kind of system or institution of the French Open was mortified and enraged that she would try to kind of take space for herself in the way that she needed to prepare for this incredibly elite athletic opportunity. And rather than support her in her needs to shine on the stage for their competition, they tried to grind her into dust and force her to bend to their will. And she showed incredible sense of self, incredible fortitude in saying I will just remove myself from the competition. If this is a requirement, you know, due respect to the French Open. She was very professional, very much a bridge builder about it, but opted out of the competition, which then caused further outrage instead of them really kind of stopping and thinking and understanding what kind of sacrifice Naomi was making. I felt so many people were pontificating around whether it was appropriate for her to do this or not, and there wasn't enough conversation around how serious this must have been for her to take a professional hit like that. Like that, that really wasn't being discussed. And so, you know, she really showed us a new way where you could prioritize yourself and not just kind of go with the flow or or just operate along the lines of what's always been done because it's always been done. And she was articulate. She was respectful. um, And it was just something that was amazing to see. And it opened up this whole new kind of thread of conversation around mental health that we had not been having before. Other athletes stepped forward, other celebrities stepped forward to talk about it. 
in a moment when we're in a global health crisis that's a you know a once in a hundred years scale where, where where mental health is so much of a struggle for other people and and so it just gave me not you know I'm not trying to compare myself to Naomi Osaka because I could never but it just allowed me to come forward and just express some of my vulnerability because she opened the door she created space I feel like we're all in such a unique situation to use our voice, to use our influence, to make a difference. And you two are doing exactly that by coming on the podcast, but also the efforts that you have going on in your work. And especially for you, Nikki, being such an early member in CrowdStrike, you've been able to see the culture change. You've been able to influence the community. But I think that the leaders that we work with can also have a great deal with the progress that we make. I believe one of the best places to create more diverse cultures and workforces is actually in the business place. Uh, Nikki, can you tell me some of your thoughts and maybe a story that you've had where you've seen an executive uh, promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, or maybe help the executive promote that, that topic? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like personally, being a woman and a woman of color, you know, at, at CrowdStrike specifically, through my career trajectory here, I've been given ample opportunities to continue to rise up and use my voice. And one of the most uh, you know, honorable ways to do so was when George asked me to become an executive sponsor for our Believe ERG. You know, it's a true honor to be considered given this was my first executive sponsorship role and all that it meant and entailed to really show up and be be there for the team, really foster and nurture the ability for that team to recommend business initiatives and process improvements and give them opportunities to come up with ideas to increase organizational awareness and allyship for what they experience and, and not they, what we experience, right? I'm part of that group as well. And so it, it really was a, a, a tremendous honor for me to be able to create those opportunities for talent development, but in a much broader sense, right? Um, I feel growing up in the corporate environment uh, as a woman of color, those opportunities weren't always available. So I do understand what it's like to feel like you might not have a seat at the table or you might not have that voice, even though you know that you can add tremendous value. Uh, so being there as a support mechanism and a mentor for this group was something that was very near and dear to me. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the term ERG. I'm assuming that's employee resource group and they might have many different functions, but what does that mean for you? What kind of impact can an employee resource group make when you know they're all marching in the right direction? Well, I mean, I feel like the company is giving them our commitment to foster community. It's promoting that sense of belonging, right? We, we have this rally cry in the organization, thanks to uh, the magnificent Sean Henry, and it's one team, one fight. And that means if you're really part of this team, we're all marching to that same drumbeat, right? So we want everybody who's part of the team to feel like they truly belong, you know, we want to be able to facilitate that change within the company to drive a greater understanding of the diversity of perspectives across CrowdStrike. So for me, it's just, it's another opportunity for us to hear more voices across the organization in a broader way. You know, Nikki, I'd love for you to, for, for you to take us into the room when he asked you to do this executive sponsor position. 
what was going on in your mind? And tell us about the some of the emotions that came up in you being a woman of color, being able to take this banner to the next level for the organization. What did it really mean for you? It meant being seen. It was actually, I have a funny story. And this is where, you know, in some ways, CrowdStrike, you know, we, we do our best and we strive to become better every day. But this was a situation where we could have done better. You know, there was a, a, a group of folks who were working on, you know, what DE&I could look like at CrowdStrike and how we would put together ERGs and who would be sponsors at the executive level for them. And uh, one of the individuals working on the program came to me and said, can you ask the executive team who they would want to be a sponsor for Team Believe? And it really struck me as kind of funny, uh, but also not in a way not, right? Because they didn't realize they were asking the one woman of color on the executive team to ask the other executive team members if they would be an executive sponsor for the Believe ERG. Mm-hmm. And so it, I took it to George to see, just to kind of gauge where he was at, you know, if, if he would even recognize that being a little off base. And, and he, he recognized it immediately. And he said, you know, he just said pretty point blank, why in the world would you not be the executive sponsor for the Believe ERG? You know, I, I believe you are the right person for the role. I feel like you've had the experiences that some of the ERG members have probably had in their past, right? You can recognize that you've been part of that, that journey. You've probably felt some of those same struggles. Um, so I feel it's really important for you to be part of that. And it's also important. It was important for him to see me take on that role because he also wants to be a key sponsor and being his right hand, you know, I'll be able to bring certain issues certain concerns, certain questions to the table um, pretty quickly, right, to be discussed at the executive level. So I I was very honored and I felt very proud of him as well for recognizing that. I did have this story on my radar as something that I wanted to bring up. And I think the the Naomi Osaka story is a good lead in and why I think she was so tuned in and courageous and brave and just inspirational in her ability to kind of see through the system. And the way things are always done and and kind of come with a fresh outlook because I was the person that works on helping to stand up these ERGs and identifying the right executive sponsors. And I was really struggling with the Black ERG because I'm like, we don't have any Black executives at the company. And I work with Nikki all day, every day, 24-7. And I can't remember who I was talking to might have been my former boss. And he's like, well, what about Nikki? And I, you guys, I was so ashamed of myself in that moment that I didn't think of it because like, that's my job to see Mm. things differently and to bring change and kind of new, you know, new perspective to the kind of the systems and the structures that are built in a certain way that exclude women and, and people of color and other underrepresented categories. And I was like, absolutely, like that is a no brainer. And, and it's completely terrible that I, that I didn't bring it up. But I will say to Nikki's point about being seen, if we saw that more, if I saw that more, maybe it would have been more obvious. But when it's so rare and you're moving, 
very quickly and and covering so much ground, it's easy even for people in underrepresented groups to make those mistakes and and those unforced errors, right? Because that that's the definition of an unforced error right there. So I think that's why what Naomi did struck me so deeply was because I've been in moments where I'm like, it's my job to not be this person. And I was just that person. And then, yeah, if you could just mention a little bit about the direction of diversity, equity, inclusion at CrowdStrike, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're we're very much on the beginning of our journey, although I will say that the team is incredibly prolific and I'm so proud of of all the the ground that we've covered since we've uh, you know started this work. When I joined CrowdStrike, there was only two ERGs at the time and there wasn't really much if anything else going on. And you know, I came on board and even though DEI wasn't my official capacity at that time, I had that expertise and I I was, you know, more than willing to to jump in and kind of help them expand that and and to Nikki's earlier comment, you know, we've definitely grown our employee resource group footprint quite a bit since then and, and are driving, you know, really important conversations. We've developed a speaker series that's become, you know, kind of a jewel in our crown, if, if I can say so, where we're driving really hard hitting conversations in the business. You know, we're taught, we had a, a conversation about what it takes to be a strong trans ally in the workplace. We've had conversations that get pretty in-depth about mental health. And we had one a few months ago with Naomi Tutu, who's Desmond Tutu's daughter. And it was a conversation about healing from the wounds of racism. And she did not hold back. And I was on this webinar and I was like, this is all kinds of real talk about racism and you know the damaging impacts of these cultures that exclude and champion you know any kind of supremacy and um you know this is <laughs> this is happening in a corporate environment and i was like whoo i was feeling a little <laughs> a little like i wonder what the feedback is going to be in this tech company you know that, that by de- definition most of us are are very heavily weighted male and and usually have what we- heavily weighted caucasian and um i got nothing but positive feedback from that talk. People reached out to me. Uh, people asked if we could use the recording and show it to our customers. They were just so inspired by, I think, just the open dialogue there in that conversation. And I was, you know, very pleasantly surprised because you just never know, you know. But, you know, in addition to education and just open dialogue and conversations that are sometimes difficult to have, you know, we do a lot of the things that you might consider the usual suspects, which is, you know, recruiting programs and trying to tackle bias in interviews and and in hiring and making sure your job descriptions aren't exclusive and, you know, making sure that you're working on programs to source diverse candidates to supporting organizations like the Thurgood Marshall College Fund um, to help, you know, grant scholarships to get more people of, of color into the industry. We have a CrowdStrike Foundation that has a next-gen scholarship for cybersecurity specifically or areas, you know, that inform on cybersecurity that we grant every year. So we have programs like that and then things that 
we're looking to do to kind of push the envelope a little bit, you know, maybe getting into some strategic uh, partnerships that will, uh, you know, just help us build out certain areas. We are with a group called Higher Military that leverages the, the Department of Defense's SkillBridge program. And for those out there that may not be aware of what this is, for folks that are on, they've elected to leave the military, they're done with their period of enlistment, there's like a six month off ramp for the military. And this program is very brilliant that, that the Department of Defense um, came up with is they will pay these exiting military members full salary and benefits and they offer them up as interns to private sector companies. And so when these folks are leaving the military, they get an opportunity to adapt some of their, their service experience into more private sector experience um, with the goal that, you know, if they're not able to be hired by the employer, which that's our goal with the program here, that we can convert as many of these interns as we can to full-time roles, that they at least have, you know, four to six months of an internship at a company under their belt that them then helps them transition into a private sector profession after they get out of the military. So, so that one has had huge impact on our on our veteran representation at the company. And then things internally to help engage and develop, right? So we launched a mentorship program, which previously didn't exist in a formal capacity at the company that actually started as a, as a ERG sponsored program through our women's ERG and has grown to be so big. And there's been so much interest and, and we're very inclusive here. So even though it was a women's ERG program, we let anyone in regardless of gender identity or kind of how they identified and, and so now we've actually moved it out of the women's ERG and it's a, it's a straight diversity, equity and inclusion sponsored program because it's just been so successful and had so much interest from around the organization. Philanthropy and good corporate citizenship through our foundation, right? So um, we try to keep that lens in a lot of the, the programs and the things that we do that are even customer facing. And last year, um, our CEO, George Kurtz, uh, did a fireside chat with Black Girls Code as part of our annual user conference called Falcon. And, you know, as part of that relationship, we then, you know, made a donation to Black Girls Code to help them further their mission. So it's it's about being mindful of what you're trying to do and where you're trying to make an impact because you can't really boil the ocean in these things and making sure that it aligns to your purpose and your mission and your values and your business priorities. But then really, you know, once you've decided the areas that you're going to focus on, go wide and, and support as many organizations as you can, educate as much as you can on as many of a variety of issues as you can. I love the vision. I love all those initiatives. But there's something you said that I really want to highlight, and that's having tough conversations. There's someone that's listening to this podcast right now that they feel like none of these conversations are occurring in their organization, and they want to start to have those conversations so they can move the organization forward. I'd like to pose this to both of you. And let's start with you, Nikki. So what piece of advice do you have for that person that wants to start having those conversations in their organization? And what are the best ways they can do that? You know, you have to find your allies within the organization. It's, you know, these conversations are difficult, right? It's not always easy for everyone to just uh, broach the conversation with anyone in their org. So you have to know who your allies are. Ask them for advice. Ask them how to start the broader conversation. 
across the executive team, across the organization. I feel like there are so many individuals and employees and colleagues at companies that want to have these conversations and they don't know where to start. So, you know, finding the courage within yourself to be that pioneer within your your company, within your peer group, I, I really highly encourage it because it's needed. And, you know, it's like I said, it's a hard, difficult conversation to have. But if it's important to you, you know, be about it, right? It's it's that accountability piece. If if you want to make change, you have to be the change. So I feel like you just have to find the people in your network amongst your groups that are open to having that dialogue, who want to help you broaden that conversation across the organization and and see where you can take it. Be about it and be the change. I love it. And what about you, Emily? I mean, you, you got to do it, right? Like, um, it, I think, first of all, you have to make sure that you're in a space that's safe to do so, right? So if you feel like you're in an environment culturally at a company where, you know, this isn't a, an acceptable norm, then, you know, you really got to think about whether you're in the right place for you and whether you're in a healthy place. But I think, I think feedback's incredibly valuable. Um, I give it to my team, I think they would say probably too much and too freely. (laughs) But you know, it's an incredibly valuable tool for you as well, to build relationships, to fix problems, to achieve personal growth, to get additional perspectives. And the more people that are willing to be courageous and have these conversations, and maybe not let something lie, if they feel like it's not right, or, you know, if they're feeling something's really bothering them and they want to say something about it, but they don't know how, you know, maybe reach out to somebody in, in your work environment that you respect and admire for advice on how, how to broach those topics if it's not something that you're comfortable with. But I think, you know, Nikki's dead on. You just got to you just got to do it. You got to be about it and you got to model it and lead the charge because I think that that's the tool to unlocking true greatness and true potential is just that to your earlier point, vulnerability, right? Your willingness to be vulnerable with each other, to listen, to hear some things that are sometimes difficult, but to make it be about the better place on the other side. Wow. That is incredible. And I couldn't have said it better myself. I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for being vulnerable and talking about some of the trials and tribulations of diversity, equity, and inclusion, giving us a peek into your culture and how it's grown over time. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on at CrowdStrike, what are the best ways that people can do that? So with the company, you know, we're always hiring and we definitely want to diversify the organization. And so CrowdStrike.jobs is definitely, you know, I also lead uh, employer brand marketing here. So that that's near and dear to my heart. So you can learn a lot about our teams and about our culture um, on that site. We also have a corporate blog section for people and culture where we talk with our employees across the globe about um, how they experience our culture and how they experience the day-to-day in their roles. And, and that can be, I think, really illuminating and really enlightening about what CrowdStrike is like as a company. And then you can find me on LinkedIn at, at Emily Van Norden. You can reach me uh, via LinkedIn at Nikki Thornton, or you can reach me just at, at my email for CrowdStrike, which is N-I-K-K-I at CrowdStrike.com. 
Love it. We will be sure to make sure that we drop all of your information and resources to CrowdStrike in the show notes. Really appreciate the time and the conversation. We'll see everyone next time. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.